Welcome to Stories of Iceland. I am here in my new studio. I've been testing my equipment and all the possibilities that they allow me. Hopefully you will notice a few changes very soon. If you want to help me focus more of my energy towards this podcast, please support me on Patreon. That is patreon.com slash stories of Iceland. I'd like to thank all of my Patreon supporters, especially Troy Williams, a friend of the podcast. If you join them at Patreon, there is extra material there. But this is Stories of Iceland, and this is episode 24, and it's called The Tale Heard Around the World. Iceland is in the North Atlantic. Its capital city is Reykjavik. You might not realize it, but the study of folk tales is closely linked to comparative linguistics, that is, the study of the origins and relationships between languages. You likely know that the Brothers Grimm collected folk tales, but you might not know that Jakob Grimm is a hugely influential figure in linguistics owing to having popularized a theory on the first Germanic sound shift. This is now known as Grimm's Law. I would never claim to have a deep understanding of linguistics, but I will try to give you the basic idea. This law charts how Indo-European languages have changed through the centuries. A simple example of this is how P sounds in Proto-European became F sounds in Germanic languages. This explains why the Romance languages have words like Padre and Pater, while the Germanic languages use words like Father or father. I'm likely a bit too careful not to give Jakob Grimm too much credit for this, since we Icelanders have a great love of the Danish scholar Rasmus Christian Rask. He laid the groundwork for Grimm's law, which is in fact often called Rask's rule. And Rask actually started his career by studying Icelandic. If you want to know more about the origins of the Indo-European languages, then you should check out the early episodes of the History of English podcast. Since scholars were often studying both linguistics and folk tales, they began to see parallels between these fields. 
just as they could see how the words in different languages were related, they saw that folk tales in different countries and regions were often very similar. This led to a whole school of study, the historic geographic method of comparative folkloristics. The greatest achievement of this method is arguably the Arne Thompson Uther Index, often simply called the ATU Index. The ATU Index was started by the Finnish folklorist Ante Orne, but later revised and expanded first by American folklorist Sith Thompson and later by German folklorists Hans-Jürg Uther. This index lists the various types of European folktales. Each type is given a number. This makes it possible for folklorists to cross-reference folktales from various countries. So, folktale collections sometimes come with a little code for each story. You could, for instance, see a story marked ATU 500. This is a wonderful tool and has been used to chart the origins of tales. On the other hand, if you aren't careful, you might end up with a grand theory that is too reliant on conjecture. You could also lose sight of the importance of the differences you see in individual tales. When you compare how tales of the same types have diverged at various times and different places, it allows you to see what the Swedish folklorist Carl von Sido called the ecotype. Today, I'm introducing you to an Icelandic ecotype of a story you might have heard before. It is called Gilitrut. At one time, a smart, industrious young farmer lived by the Eyjafjall. As his pasture land was good, he kept many sheep. These yielded him no small store of wool, and yet it was no easy matter for him to keep a coat on his back, for the wife whom he had recently married, though young and healthy, was quite lazy and concerned herself little about the affairs of the house. Her husband was greatly dissatisfied, but could not induce her to mend her ways. At the close of the summer he gave her a large bundle of wool, and told her to be sure to spin it and work it up into cloth during the winter months. His wife was less than enthusiastic about it. She let it lie in a corner untouched, despite of the hints she got every now and then from her husband. It was midwinter before she fully made up her mind to set to work, and then she began to perplex herself as to how she could get so much wool worked up before the close of winter. But one day an old lady with grim features came visiting, begging for alms. "'Can you do any work for me in return?' asked the farmer's wife. "'Willing am I,' replied the old woman. "'But what kind of work would you have me do?' I want you to make some cloth for me out of this wool. Very well, let me have the wool then. 
And so the farmer's wife handed the large pack of wool to the old woman, who, without more ado, tossed it upon her back, at the same time saying, You may depend on my coming back with the cloth the first day of summer. But what payment will you ask for your work when you bring the cloth, said the farmer's wife. Not much, but you must tell me what my name is in three guesses. The farmer's wife agreed to this strange condition, and so the old woman departed. As the winter months passed on, the farmer often asked what had become of the wool. His wife told him not to concern himself about it and promised that it would be ready by the first day of summer. The farmer was less than impressed with this answer. Unbeknownst to him, his wife was trying to work out the old woman's name, but all her efforts were for naught. By the time the last month of winter came round, she became so anxious and uneasy that she could neither eat nor sleep. Her husband was greatly distressed at the change which had come over her and begged her to let him know what ailed her. Unable longer to keep the matter secret, she told him the whole. He was very much startled at what he heard and told her how very imprudent she had been as the old woman was certainly a troll and would take her away if she failed in her bargain. A day or two after this conversation, he had an occasion to go up into the adjoining mountain. He was so bowed down with grief at the thought of losing his wife that he scarcely knew what he was about and so wandered from the road till he came to the bottom of a lofty cliff. While he was considering how he could get into the road again, he thought he heard a sound as of a voice inside the hill. Following the sound, he discovered a hole in the face of the cliff. On peeping through this hole, he saw a tall old woman sitting weaving with her loom between her knees, and, as he beat the treadles, every now and then singing to herself, Ha, ha, and ho, ho, the good wife does not know that Gilitrit is my name. The farmer became quite pleased and felt sure that this was the same old hag what so imposed on his poor foolish wife. All the way home he kept repeating the word Gelitrit, and as soon as he got indoors he wrote it down on a piece of paper that he might not forget it. But he did not, at the time, give his wife the least inkling of what he knew. The poor woman grew more and more sorrowful as the days passed on, and when the closing day of winter came, she was so woe-begone that she had not the heart even to put on her clothes. In the course of the day, her husband inquired if she had found out her visitor's name yet. She replied that she did not, and said that she felt as if she would die from distress. He said that there would be no need for that, gave her the piece of paper, and told her the whole story. She took the paper with a trembling hand, for at first she feared that the name might not be the true one. She wanted 
her husband to stay with her the next day so as to be present when the old woman called. No, no, said he, you kept your own counsel when you gave her the wool, so you must do without me when you take in the cloth and pay her the wages agreed upon. He then left the house. And now came the first day of summer. The farmer's wife lay in bed all alone in the house. She heard a trampling noise and in stalked the old woman with a bundle on her back and a scowl on her face. As soon as he got within the room, she threw down the big bundle of cloth and in an angry tone called out, What is my name now? What is my name? The farmer's wife, who was almost dead with fear, said, Signy? That my name, that my name. Guess again, good wife. Ausa, said she. That my name, that my name. You must guess again. I don't suppose your name is Kiliturt? The woman asked. This answer came like a thunderbolt on the old hag, who fell down with a great noise on the floor. She then got up and, without speaking a word, went her way out of the house and was seen never more. As for the farmer's wife, she was full of joy at her deliverance, and even after was a changed woman. She became a pattern of industry and good management, and henceforth always worked her own wolf herself. The most famous version of this tale is, of course, Rumpelstiltskin. If you don't know it, I recommend you look it up. It is in the collection of the Brothers Grimm. That version is, of course, German, but there is an English one called Tom Tit-Tot. In the ATU index, it is number 500, and it is called The Name of the Supernatural Helper. Researchers have claimed that this type of story could have been present at the birth of the Western Indo-European language family. According to them, the story might be 6,000 years old. But there are many buts. We can't really know for sure. The oldest written examples are from the 17th and 18th century. The Icelandic tale was written in the middle of the 19th century. If we go from the large context to the smaller one, that of the ecotype, we could ask what Gilitr tells us about Iceland. What makes it special? My biggest obstacles in translating the story gives us an idea. The tale revolves around wool, specifically the fabric that can be woven from wool. In Icelandic, the name of this cloth is Svadmar, and English doesn't really have a name for it. It just uses Svadmar as a loan word. So I'll just copy the description from Wikipedia. It is a coarse, dense, usually undyed wool fabric woven in Iceland, Norway, Sweden, Denmark, Greenland, and the Orkney, Faroe, and Shetland Islands from the Middle Ages into the 18th century. We can be sure of one thing. The Icelandic ecotype of ATU 500 
underlines the importance of sheep in a sheep-shaped island in the North Atlantic. That is it for today. Thanks to Evan Williams, Jan Helgeson, Austin Yule, Fred Sidler, and all my other supporters. And as always, special thanks to Troy Williams, a friend of the podcast. I am Ole Gnes and this has been Stories of Iceland, episode 24, The Tale Heard Around the World. Thank you.